0: Hello everybody, this is Jim Barton and I'm here with
1: Abigail Conley.
0: and this is another episode of Bloody Mary Bible Brunch. This week we're going to talk about um, a passage from the prophet Amos and we're going to try and get into a little bit of a rhythm here where we'll talk uh, spend one episode maybe talking about um, a scripture kind of in and of itself and then we'll do other episodes where we'll talk about an issue. Um, This one is going to be one of the scripture lessons so with that uh, I'm going to ask Abby to um, read us the passage from Amos.
1: This is from Amos 8 4 through 7. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and destroy the poor of the land, saying, When will the new moon be over so that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath so that we may offer wheat for sale? Make the ephah smaller and march the shekel and deceive with false balances in order to buy the needy for silver and the helpless for sandals and sell garbage as grain. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget what they have done.
0: Okay, so that's some uh, truth to power coming from the Old Testament. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, well, you know, one thing that... I feel it's really important to point out is that this is from the Old Testament, and I think that there can be something of a notion that the Old Testament is, you know, all about angry anti-gay laws and anti-women rituals, and the New Testament is all about peace and love and forgiveness. and. Um, I mean, first of all, it's just not accurate, and and secondly, I think this scripture shows that the notion of justice really is an important part of the Old Testament, and it's kind of good that we don't throw that, uh, sort of throw the baby out with the bathwater out of the Old Testament.
1: Yeah, and um, it's kind of interesting because as much as we as progressives like to say, well, you know, let's let's talk about the gay bashing or whatever, these, these few... Texts that are talking about um, same sex relationships in the Old Testament, and you know, there's only a handful of them. And we say, How is this setting a precedent that we would still be practicing 2,500 years later? Um, whereas, if you read kind of everything around those scriptures, you get these themes of justice, you get the themes that say, um, refugees, immigrants, aliens, whoever the stranger na- strangers among us should be safe and welcome. You get this things that say, you know, you don't glean your field. You don't pick everything. You leave it so the poor can come in. And, you know, the famous story from that is um, in the book of Ruth. But it's everywhere. And that's part of the law. Like, the story comes from the practice of the law.
0: And what I think is neat about this passage from Amos is that Amos is speaking so... In such detail. Right. Hey, he's talking about having fake scales. Thank you. Absolutely. He's talking about having, you know, um, inaccurate scales, right? He's talking right. about what the ephod and the shechem, I assume, are two uh, weights that they use in the measuring yeah. grain. Yeah, shekel
1: and ephod, or ephod, depending on who you ask. Okay. But yeah, these are just, they're measures. And so, much like we would say a cup or those things, there's an understood what this means.
0: And, and talking about, you know, doing this sort of this, the details of this cheating is not okay. And in fact, you're gonna you're gonna pay for it. Like God will be angry at you, right? If you cheat the poor. And so, um, you know, I mean, this to me, like payday loans, comes to mind. Right. Um, you know, like uh, any time you do a new program, putting it on the backs of the poor by using it uh, either a sin tax or or, a, or a, uh, a sales tax, where you know it's necessarily going to be aggressive, regressive. I mean. That's the kind of details that Amos is talking about.
1: It is. It's also, I think, even economic systems we take for granted. So one of the things, so like, when can the Sabbath be over so we can sell? I mean, if you're working class, getting an actual day off, a guaranteed day off every single week, mm-hmm. doesn't happen for the most part because right. the stores have to be open seven days a week. Right. I complain because they're not open twenty-four hours, and I, I rate. Like, I openly admit that while realizing, like, right, the people who are working often the minim- minimum wage are the ones that are exploited in this system.
0: Right. Um, I also think this passage, there's an idea in uh, America of separation of church and state. Right. Whereas that the government is not supposed to be run by this, by the uh, religion. And there are no tests of religion, and like, The government can't impose a religion, all that kind of stuff, First Amendment, separation of church and state. The scripture doesn't have an equivalent.
1: Right. You're talking about people who understood themselves as an ethnic group, as a nation, and as the people of God all rolled into one. And our understanding is particular to our country as well. I mean, most people, it's a much more fluid relationship with religion and culture. Um, than we say we have,
0: even if we did not practice it. I mean, I mean, I think it sets up a, um, it does set up an awkward conversation, right? Because you have to decide, well, what, you, what, what, what do you? Um, what does it mean for your faith to speak to your politics? Right. And obviously a passage like this in Amos is going to be one and pretty much everything Amos said is going to be something that's going to sound good to my liberal ears and I'm going to say, "Yeah, let's let's do that here." And maybe if we're reading something somewhere else in Leviticus that's talking about gay sex, I'm not going to be as excited about using that as the basis of our laws. But I and so I think there's a struggle that has to go on there. I think you have to have values, consistent values that rise beyond just like what you read in scripture. But I don't think we should pretend that there's an idea of separation of church and state in Scripture where there isn't one.
1: Right. And I think that, for us, the healthiest way to have that discussion is how do we have religiously informed views and political views, um, but those don't become laws of the state. Right. Because I think for most of us, we would say, well, yeah, of course my politics inform the way I vote. Of course these things matter. And I think the problem really becomes its worst when we say, well, you must vote for this because you're a Christian. Right. And therefore, like, then we'll make this a Christian nation by force, essentially, by the force of the voting. Which happens a lot. Yeah. Um, and happens a lot on particular issues. And we're also faced with something where the particular issues that have come up. is like, well, you vote this way because these are the people who will stop abortion or do these other things. And abortion is the one that most readily comes to mind while ignoring all of these other Christian values and principles. And maybe more importantly, the things that God says you will be judged for have nothing to do with what are current, like, these are the Christian values, quote-unquote, that you vote on.
0: I read something recently that said that Jesus not only um, stood for liberty and equality, but such and such. And I just thought it was hilarious to just take Jesus and put in the idea of American liberty and equality into Jesus' mouth, which right. is the weird, backwards way to do it. I mean, Jim Wallace talks about this in God's Politics a lot, About that's a, in the book, where what happens too often is we take American values and try to sanctify them and make them a religion. If we're gonna have the interplay, which I think actually would be healthy between religion and politics, it would be the other direction. So you take what Amos has to say about how you treat the poor, and then you move that into our society and you see what is what does that mean for our society. What is what does is abortion issue mean for our society? You know, maybe there are maybe maybe there are lessons that come out of the scripture that would merit regulating abortion. It seems like any system that puts a burden overwhelmingly on the poor women it's probably not going to be what God's intention was. It's not going to be the lessons. Out right, of
1: it. and that's for me. That's where the crux of our political conversation lies, because the you know Catholic um, social movement has the whole preferential option for the poor, where somehow the poor have actually better access, easier access, cheaper access. Because they're poor, because everything else is far more difficult. So you have a preferential option for the poor. Um, Whereas the narrative tends to be like, how can we help them not be poor anymore? Mm -hmm. Even from a progressive view. Right. Like, and you know, as much as Jesus challenges economic systems, as much as prophets like like Amos challenge economic systems, they also accept the fact that, like, okay, there are going to be rich people and poor people. Mm-hmm. The way you take care of those poor people is what matters. Not get rid of the poor
0: people.
1: Not make sure you don't Interesting. Have anything, yeah. But how do you care for them, and how do you make sure that they're not
0: exploited? And a lot of scripture is about you're poor now. This is how you deal with it. Mm-hmm. God loves you still. You'll be taken care of. The first of it, you know, a lot of that, right? Mm-hmm. Then there's a lot of scripture about having exceptions for the poor if you're supposed to sacrifice a a goat but you don't have a goat then you sacrifice this and if you don't have that then you sacrifice a dove, like accommodations for the poor and then amos seems to be speaking to the powerful saying take care of the poor i don't i'm not aware of anything in scripture that says if you're powerful you got there because you earned it right and and you should feel fine exerting your power yeah and so for example um I do. I read great books from time to time, and I'm reading. About, I'm reading Nietzsche, and and Nietzsche and Ayn Rand, and that that whole Objectivist movement. That all comes from the idea that it's good that I'm powerful for a reason, and I don't have to worry about the powerless. Great. And that is a quintessentially anti-Christian standpoint. Mm-hmm. And I think we get that not only just from the teachings of Jesus, but all the way back through the Old yeah.
1: Testament. And I mean, even when you're talking about battles and conquest and those things. Um, that's about military power which right. is much different from individuals. Right. and one of the things that um, actually matters a lot is you, you have a concept of the year of jubilee but yeah. actually everything, property returns so during those years when economic injustice becomes inevitable so somebody's crop fell mm-hmm. and fails and you end up in servitude then you know that that seventy years that kind of let it run a run its course. And then in that 70th, 70th year, everything gets put back to rights. Right. Whoever owned the land to start with, it gets returned to their family, to their yeah. tribe.
0: And, and you're not supposed to not loan people once you get close to the year of Jubilee, right? That's a that's a there's a prohibition of that. Don't hesitate to loan someone to someone just because you know Right. Yeah. Right. So it's a real it's a real and parts of scripture are really you know this is a law that people use to live with and so it has all the like don't game the system and that's what Amos is talking about too right like don't game the system but messing with the weights right. it's unchristian to mess with the weights it's un whatever un- it's a, a terrible in the eyes of God to mess with the weights
1: it's unfaithful to your calling as people of God yeah, I think go. maybe that actually gets us someplace because it's not just a Christian scripture right. it's a Jewish scripture right. it's you know, you use scripture in some context. Uh-huh. So, this is a calling about, if you're faithful to your calling, you don't do this. Um,
0: and When was she writing? Do we know? Him?
1: About 750 BCE. Um, okay. And a relative time of peace, which I think makes it all that more appealing to us. Because, yeah. um, you know, you think of disparity and all of those things that come up during times of conflict or during times of great political upheaval upheaval or whatever. You know, for all of our talk about, oh, America, what's going on we're stable.
0: We're good. Yes. Yeah.
1: And so so, yes, thank you. And so especially having this conversation with no somebody writing in a stable period of time when exploitation is still happening and all these things and people are trying to get richer and richer, that actually is really helpful for us. It's very relevant
0: to us. It's very relevant So, all right. well, good on us too for our uh, lending circles and our other little stuff that we're doing at Chalice to try and address real life economic injustice. And I do think this scripture calls everyone to say um, it's not all sort of high-minded happy thoughts and good love. It's It's also about no, don't cheat people. Right. So... Alright. Well, I think that's pretty good for now. Um, um, We'll be back uh, next time, and um, until we uh, talk again, cheers.